there was this notion that there was big exodus of people moved out. That's actually not true. It, it, it declined, this, the, the occupancy, the census did decline, but it declined because when COVID hit, you locked the doors because the state government said you had to lock the doors. No visitors, no new people to come in for a tour, no new people to move in. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is a show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing on Main Street, investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Doug Fullaway. And today, we're getting an update on the residential assisted living market, what's happened as a result of the pandemic, what he's seen, and how investors out there investing in residential assisted living can do well financially while doing good and producing a great place to live for older folks. Or you're also going to find out another way that you can do good as an investor in residential assisted living toward the end of the interview is something that Doug is working on right now, right in my state of Virginia, but would also work uh, across the rest of the country in your hometown or wherever you are. Unfortunately, there is a need for what he's working on. So you're going to learn about that. We're also going to get an update as to really how operations of residential assisted living facilities were, let's say, disrupted by the pandemic and decisions that had to be made or were made at the time as a result of, okay, what's going on? What do we do about this? What decision do we make about either quarantining or what have you? Well, that had an impact on the operations, the financials of residential assisted living facilities and the residents and their families all of that. So we're discussing that today with Doug. And there's so much in here. We haven't had a conversation on the show uh, about residential assisted living since before the pandemic kind of happened. And uh, I'm glad to get an update. And I hope you're going to get a lot of value out of it today, because it's interesting to think about some of these effects were, at least for me, somewhat non-intuitive as a someone who doesn't invest in residential assisted living, but you know, is certainly interested in that the fact that it, it does good for residents you know, we're learning some of these things on the back end. At least I am. So interesting, uh, interesting lessons today. If you're new to the show and you're an Apple podcast user, please take a quick second, leave us a rating or review on Apple podcast. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast algorithm and how they do all their math about who cares about the show. And I'm always honest with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what it's all about. And that is one of the ways that we get feedback about that y'all are out there investing in real estate and escaping Wall Street along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, do take a quick second, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Like I said, doing well by doing good is a great thing, right? And there are a lot of folks who can benefit from using residential assisted living, especially from investors who do it well, do it right, do right by the residents, do the right thing. I mean, that's just win-win, right? Win, 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 win. That's what we all want here. That's what it's all about on this show. And that's what we're discussing today with Doug Fullaway. Without any further ado, here we go. Doug, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk with you. We've been talking a little bit before we hit record. You have some very uh, powerful things going on, doing well while doing good. And I'm, I'm 
looking forward to bringing this message to our listeners today. Uh, for those out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about yourself and what you invest in? And then we'll get right off to it. Absolutely. So the name of my company is 14 Plus. Kind of a funny name, but the question is, why the name? If you look at all the kinds of real estate you can invest in, the type of investment of senior living has outperformed over the long period every other kind of real estate. For the longest period of time, the National Council of Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries, INCREF, long name, collected data on all you know industrial and retail and student and and you know, multifamily and commercial and all that and senior housing and, and you know over a period of many many years the segment that had the best return was senior living at an average of 14% unlevered return and it, it's always been 2 to 3% better than multifamily but it's not well understood because it's significantly smaller and because it has a large operating component to it people don't necessarily want to invest in it and hadn't for quite some time now in the last few years industrial has come up to almost the same level and indeed senior housing you know senior living has dropped a little bit it's no longer 14 it's down down around 11 but nevertheless the 14 plus is if you want to do better than average in investing in senior living i hope i can help you so that kind of gives you a snapshot of what my company does is it really helps and i was the ceo of a software company that sold operational software to thousands of assisted living communities we started in 2002 and I left that business in 2016. So I've been in hundreds and hundreds of these sites. I know you know, lots of operators and I know most of the senior executives in the industry. So I sit in the middle. I help operators who are trying to raise money for the first time. I help operators because they want an operational audit to fix things. I help operators I've known for many, many years because they need to raise money and no longer will their friends and family provide enough because they're growing so fast. Uh, you know, I remember starting with one one operator had three sites, and over the course of the next four years, I helped them grow to eighty four. Whoa! And then and then and then I found out I was trying to sell to a customer who had already had two hundred and fifty sites, and he said, "No, no, I need to find a CEO." So I introduced him, and they bought the other company, and all of a sudden, I had a customer that had over four hundred sites. Ooh. So I've kind of seen things come and go, and I've seen people go through the life cycle. So I help. On the operator side, I help them find their money. And on the investor side, the, the value I try and add is do a great job of underwriting and make sure that if they're going to invest, it's a great operator. Because if that happens, your odds go up tenfold that you're going to do well. And you know, this is not something that you know your, your friendly financial planner is likely to talk to you about. Uh, this is one of those that takes some work, but there's some because of it. There's some pretty nice returns. I always take investments to to people when I can see a cash on cash return. I want to see at least nine percent. I'd like to see ten or eleven. I'd like to see that ten or eleven growing to sixteen or seventeen. Uh, very often, I have one that I'm doing right now that has a twenty four percent average cash on cash yield over ten years. So you know, with those kind of returns, it pays to spend the time to learn. So. <laughs> <laughs> From the investor side, my job is to help educate. And on the, on, the, on the operator side, my job is to make sure that they prepare the right information so the investor can make an intelligent decision. So I sit in the middle. Nice, nice. And this is something I haven't actually thought about before is actually underwriting assisted living facilities and understanding how the cash flow works. I mean, I'm a multifamily and self-storage guy, and we're not we have operations, right? But we're, we don't have staff there 24 seven. 
really watching over the people, helping them, yeah. you know, live their lives, right? But for for an assisted living facility, how do you even get that started and and do actually, underwriting? Actually, it's it, it it's it's it, it's different. But you start with all the things you know about multifamily. You know, is this a good location from a point of view of is there enough population? Is the supply and demand in or out of balance? Is this building that I'm about to take on does it, how does it compete in that market? So you do all the things you're used to doing, you know, and, and now we add the things that are different. Typical multifamily property with a hundred units will have what, three or four employees, something like that. Yeah. A typical assisted living community will have 55 to 60 employees for those hundred residents. Wow. So the number one thing you have to get right is, do they know how much labor they need and what's that's going to cost them? It's a very difficult question at some level. But at another level, like anything else, you can find benchmarks. You know, on on my website, there's a book about investing in senior living. It's free. You can download it. And and so I explain all of these things that are different. And then there are examples of cost structures. And I always publish the most recent set of previous year numbers of if you have an assisted living and it's this size and it offers memory care, then this is what your median revenue should be. And here's what your cost structure should look like. So yeah, people who invest in multifamily already have all the skills they need. They just need to learn a couple more dimensions of things to ask about. And, you know, if you ask the operator the question, if they can't explain it in plain English, run. Because <laughs> it, because it's not that difficult. And, 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 and the good ones can explain it very quickly. And you'll get very, very smart very quickly in understanding that. So it is in some ways the same and in some ways a little different. I mean, cap rates, you know, we don't see 5% cap rates in in senior living very much. I mean, the median is around seven and a half percent now. For a long time, it was eight percent. You know, it's been steadily coming down. And even with COVID, it continues to stay down, which is an interesting thing to to know about. You so would think, is- oh, get worse. Maybe maybe what's going on? It must have fallen apart because of it. No, it hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments? self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more, CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. Well, that is one of the big things, especially, you know, I haven't I haven't talked with a residential assisted living expert in the COVID period, even though it's been a while, I just haven't talked with anybody. And one of the things you, at least I heard or read about residential assisted living as a result of COVID is that there was basically an exodus of residents as their families pulled them out due to, you know, panic and and what have you. And that was very hard on the residential assisted living business and the operators, the investors, things like that. How have you seen the financial impact as a result of, of COVID? Has it come back? You know, What's happened? So, 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 so let's back up because one of the problems sure. that I see in this old senior housing space is there's lots of misinformation. You know, what you see on the Wall Street Journal or you see in the popular press 
has never matched what's happened. Mm. There was this notion that there was big exodus of people moved out. That's actually not true. It, it, it declined. This, the, the occupancy, the census did decline, but it declined because when COVID hit, you locked the doors because the state government said you had to lock the doors. No visitors, no new people to come in for a tour, no new people to move in. Well, let's couple that with the fact that the average length of stay is two years. Well, what that means is if you were to be shut down for six months, your census is going to go down by 25% no matter what. Ah, okay. Okay, so mm-hmm. there was not an exodus. There was just you didn't fill the beds anymore. As people passed away, you didn't fill the beds because you couldn't let people come in for a tour. And the people who were there were isolated, as I believe in retrospect, completely inappropriately. But we didn't know that when we started. None of us were that smart. So the census average was 88, 89% in the industry, and that dropped to 70%. Well, guess what? Lots of these businesses break even at about 65, 70%. So if you were performing poorly when it hit, you got a problem. And because of it, there are a lot of them in distress at the moment. I would say there might be 40% of the industry that's in that difficult position. Wow. It's huge. And so you think, oh, I can buy it at fire sale prices. Well, that's another misconception. The buyer and the seller who are serious, who've been around a long time, not the casual buyer who shows up who's never done this before, but somebody who's been in this for 10 years and is going to keep being in it because they understand the demographics They see this big demographic wave hitting, and they realize that two years from now, that building is going to be gold compared to what it is now if you go in and fix its performance. So you have to be really careful with your perception here that, oh, it's it's a buyer's market. You do whatever you want. No, you can't. Because the really good operators, you know, they're getting extensions on their loans. They're having more equity injected. They're recapitalizing. And yes, there are some wonderful opportunities. I'm working with one operator now who has purchased what used to be a hospital built in the 1940s, tearing it back to the wall, you know, tearing everything out, redoing the inside. And the and the all-in cost is going to be $150,000 a unit when they're all done, as compared to new construction, which is more like $250,000 a wow. cost. So you get this brand new, beautiful product that's going to come to market about 12 months from now. And by then, I think the psychology around COVID will have changed to, oh, we have the flu and we have COVID. We'll come back and talk about that more because I think it's important to understand. But, you know, the beauty of that is if you look at her project, if you're an investor and you're willing to wait eight to 10 months to get your first dividend, she's going to pay a 20% cash on cash return. (laughs) Bang. And you go, well, does the, we go back to the basics. In that local market, what's the supply and demand? Well, even with COVID, the only two competitive buildings, one's at 96%, the other was at 92%. And what's missing are memory care beds. So she's going to have more memory care beds. So, so and, and how many unmet beds are needed? About 80, and she's going to build 50. So you, you, that's one of the things about in, investing in multifamily or in senior housing, senior living. It's the micro market that counts. What's my product? What are the prices? What's the experience? Can I do something else? I'm going to back up in time a little bit. There was an operator I knew who was going to put up a new building in Houston, Texas. And every lender in the country would have wrinkled their nose and said, oh, no, you can't do that. There's too much supply. It's a mess. And and I thought, why are you doing this? 
He opened the building and had it cash flow positive in 90 days. How did he do that? Well, he understood the three mile and the five mile circuit for the market. He understood his customer and he understood that nobody was offering the mix of products and services that they really wanted. That, let me say it a little different way. He was in a very, very expensive neighborhood, a residential neighborhood, and the people there had a lot of money, and they wanted to stay close to their friends. They wanted to still be able to go to the golf course. They just didn't want to clean the gutters anymore. They didn't want to cook anymore, or maybe the spouse passed on and life was a little lonely. And so he offered an extremely high-end product, and, and nobody else within 10 miles had anything like it, even though it was Houston and, quote, had too much supply. So you got to be real careful about generalities in this and get down to the specifics of each case. So COVID at first caused census to go down for, for many, many months. And as the doors started to open, or if you were in Florida and they didn't lock you down the same way, they never had the problem. It's so interesting. They let people go visit. They said, you got to wear a mask. And for a long, for, for a period of about a month, they were shut down. And you, and for a period of about a month and a half after that, you couldn't admit new residents unless you put them in 14 days of quarantine to make sure they were safe. But families could visit so long as they'd been tested, but they didn't close them down. Where I live here in Oregon, it was completely opposite of that. If there were too many cases in the county, your building was shut down. It didn't matter if you were doing a perfect job in your building. It didn't matter. You couldn't let anybody in. So census dropped everywhere and businesses got in troubles. It was so frustrating. I sit on the board of directors for two skilled nursing communities here. And I asked the nurse to bring to a board meeting a graph that looked back three years. And I wanted two lines on the graph. I wanted the number of people who died per month. And I wanted the number of people who were admitted per month. And I said, just put it up for us. And she did. Eight people died. Now there are 150 people. And these are all people who are veterans who have very serious medical issues. And the average age of death was 92. So, you know, it isn't like something horrible was going on in these buildings. They needed help. They were getting the best help they could, but eight would die and we would admit eight. And if you put the graph up, you couldn't tell COVID existed until you see the state shutdown where the death rate stayed the same, but the admission rate dropped to zero. And I put that up when the state official was there and I said, I am really confused. This means we're now five months into this. That means there are 50 veterans who need our help and we can't give them help. When are you going to let us let these people back in the door? The next week, they said we could let people in the door. So I think we, as a public, kind of overreacted. And I don't blame the politicians here in Oregon because they looked at the veterans' home in Maine where 50 people died. In Oregon, 19 people died out of 300 residents. And once we knew what was going on, we isolated. And even though we had new cases, we never had a death after that. And we, we went for nine and a half months without one new case. How do you do that? Well, what I'm seeing is the industry has learned how to do a great job of preventing COVID from coming in the door. It's safer than being at home. There's no question in my mind about that. And I think what we're going to see is everybody's hope is you get the vaccine and you're safe for life. That's not true. All you got to do is look at Israel. They had the best COVID program in the world. Most people inoculated the fastest. And they're now having new cases at a rate that in the United States would be considered 100,000 a day. Let me say it again. Hmm. Israel is getting hit by the Delta version of COVID, uh, mm -hmm. even though all these people are inoculated and it's like it's hit again. You know, and, and now what they're not telling you is 
the rest of the story is, if there are 100,000 people who get COVID in the United States, how many will die? I bet you and most of your listeners don't know. The answer is two. Two out of 100,000 who get COVID will die. You know what? For seniors who got the flu, it's more like nine. So we've not emotionally adjusted to the facts of what's really happening. I think a year from now, when the politics settle down and we all get smarter, we get more people inoculated, more herd immunity, we're going to come to see COVID like a variant of the flu. Old people die from the flu. Old people will die from COVID. But interestingly, a consumer survey was done in June and July, just finished, of families and residents in different kinds of senior living. Why do people move there? You don't wake up in the morning and say, gee, honey, let's go shopping for an assisted living community. That's not what happens. What happens is the daughter's standing in the hospital on Thursday and the doctor said, your mom can't go home. She broke her hip. She's not eating well. She's not taking your medications. She's by herself. This is not good. Here's a list of places you ought to go look at. And so people go look because they need it, not because they love it. 95% of seniors will tell you they don't want to move there, but 11% will move there if they're over 75. So 11% of the population will move there. So it's important to understand what's going on. Um, I think we'll see that life kind of goes back to normal 12 months from now. That is, people will still want to move in. And that's what the survey showed is people's really realize more than ever that being alone is not a good idea. It's if, if you're by yourself, it's one thing if you're 40. It's a completely different matter if you're 82 and you're by yourself. It's not good. You have no companionship, nobody to talk to. You don't eat well. You don't take your meds. It's just not a good situation. But if you move into a well-run senior living community, even if COVID's outbreak is big at the moment, they'll bring food to you. Somebody will come in to make sure you get your meds. Somebody will sit down and chat with you. So the value of senior living has remained constant throughout this, actually, which is not something I would have guessed. But the survey was done uh, over 250 senior living communities uh, spread across the country. So it's a it, you know, PhD from Old Miss who did it with, a, with her company. It's really well done. And, and to me, it says... Don't be afraid of COVID in the long term. In the short term, be careful about the tactical situation, but don't make it something that causes you not to invest because you need to remember that people over 75, that population over the next 10 years is going to increase by about 11 million people. That, that, that's a lot of seniors. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to stay home after they get to be 75 or 76. It's just too hard. And the problem is, what can they afford? So there need to be a range of products. Those are all appearing. And yes, 11 million aren't going to move in, but certainly over a million people more are going to move into senior housing. And we don't have that much excess capacity, actually. That's Um, interesting to think about, though, in light of them um, locking down and and shutting down the facilities. I mean, I'm I'm certainly no uh, skeptic as to, you know, the risks of the virus, especially early on when we had no idea how dangerous it was going to be. The statistics, you know, now we have vaccines available. There's an excess of vaccines in the United States, uh, so on and so forth. But it's almost, almost, almost saying when you say uh, assisted living facilities cannot admit new people, it's almost like saying hospitals can't admit new people because people move into residential assisted living because they need it. I, I think you're exactly I think you're exactly right, Taylor. 
you know, they need to move in. They need to go somewhere. And the other thing that's happened is the value of the vaccine is well recognized by the residents. You know, the numbers that are vaccinated in these buildings tends to be 95 percent or 97 percent. And the only people who don't get it are because the doctor says you shouldn't get it. It might kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the residents are almost all and, and the staff. It's very different because. You know, you have a 23-year-old young lady who's worried about the long-term effect of the vaccine because she still wants to get pregnant. And she's very healthy. And it's likely if she gets sick, it's going to be unconsequential. So the the vaccination rate amongst the employees is around 60%. So, you know, but but I see the really well-run companies have learned to manage this very effectively. You know, they say to people, look, um, you need to stay away from crowds. You, you, you need to know what the symptoms are. There, I was at a conference two weeks ago, and I asked many other senior housing operators if they were, were they seeing breakthrough cases, that is, somebody who's had the vaccine who actually gets COVID. Everybody's seeing it. But you know what? Almost everybody's asymptomatic. They don't even know they have it, let their alone be sick. Are, their outcomes aren't as bad. They're great. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, and so they go, hey, you got to be vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated, you know, even if you get it in your old, the chances are it's not going to make any difference. You're going to be just fine. It's going to be like having a cold for three days. So I, I think we as a, as, an, as, a, as a country are going to get smarter. We're going to get less emotional about things. I actually believe we're going to realize that masks in crowded situations make sense. And in other situations, they make any sense at all. Um, interesting, U.S. Marine Corps did a study because they want to know you put all these guys in boot camp in masks. So they did what one platoon because they can issue orders. You will mm-hmm. wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and if you don't, it will be very painful. And they had another group. They didn't put them in. And they and they r- ran them all through boot camp and, and exposed them both to somebody who had COVID. They, could, they couldn't see any difference. So they didn't put anybody in masks. They knocked it off. They found yeah. it was a waste of time because think who they got. They got 17 and 18-year-old, you know, Males and females who are very good physical condition, the chance of them getting COVID, even if they get it, it doesn't have any effect. So they said, it doesn't make sense to put these people in masks. After all, we're going to make them run and breathe hard. And, and all living <laughs> and breathing, breathing the same air in the same room all the time. And it doesn't really, and what they found is it really doesn't matter. Now, I go to a conference and there are people from all over. I don't know, 300 of them in a crowded room. I don't need the government to tell me. I'm going to put a mask on. <laughs> but but I'm also going to be kind of bent out of shape if I go to have dinner with my wife and they tell us we have to wear a mask and there's nobody within 10 feet of us. It's like, what? We're all vaccinated. What are you talking about? So I, I don't know. This is just my opinions. I think we're going to see it get better. I think I think that the, the, the high level of heat. And in terms of investing opportunities, we're seeing going on in the senior housing business much what you saw go happen in the hotel business. You know, there became different kinds of hotels, very inexpensive, a little more expensive, middle of the road, Ritz-Carlton. I mean, you know, there was a range of them at a range of prices. Ten years ago, there were lots of Ritz-Carltons in senior living, and most people couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And they were making a lot of money. Well, then, then people came along and did more. So I was actually somebody who acquired one with five other people in a small town in central Oregon and population of, you know, 17,000. And indeed uh, what we found was it was a great business. You know, it, 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 it was a place where you could go and take care of people and do a great job, but we also priced it for people who had no money and, and we staffed it properly. And we negotiated with the state to get the Medicaid rate to match the situation. 
So that was a different product. Well, now what you see is people are designing things from the ground up to be truly affordable, or maybe they're building one that's referred to as active adult. You know, it, it doesn't have all of the healthcare capabilities because that's all people want. They just want a place that they can go and play cards with their friends and go out to play golf with their buddies and have interesting people come in and talk. And they don't need anybody giving their meds because they're fine. But they do not want to mow the lawn or clean the gutters. You know, so there's a product that's like that. So you're seeing this range of products and very creative things going on, which means people who know multifamily are beginning to realize that maybe they ought to shift some of their assets over in this direction. There's lots of operators looking at that. Nice. Now, one of the things you were, I hope you can tell our listeners about real briefly before we hit record, you were telling me about a, a project that you're working on right now in my home state of Virginia. And I think that's particularly important to discuss because a lot of times when we talk about residential assisted living, especially those of us like me who are not residential assisted living people, we only talk about old people. And that's not the only use case of assisted living. And yeah, that's I hope true. you can tell us about what you're working on. So so I'm, I'm working on setting up a residential substance abuse treatment program. It's well established in the literature and in practical matters that people do well if they go reside someplace for 30 days, get six and a half hours a day, six days a week for a month of intense training about how do you cope with the thing that caused you to become addicted to drugs? What are the physical things that happen to you? What are the things you need to learn how to manage so that you get out of this? Because the average person who has a drug problem goes to rehab seven times before they get better, if they ever get better. It's horrible. People who go to a residential program tend to go back not at all or once. So it's very well proven that if you offer what is essentially assisted living with some special training, that is somebody else does the cooking, somebody else provides the programming, and in this case, it's heavy on education. How do you learn to find out what caused you to become addicted to drugs? You know, and, and when you learn what those things are, you can then learn to, well, how do you manage those things? So there's lots of counseling that goes on individually and in groups, and there's lots of training about techniques for relaxation, which is something I thought, that sounds kind of corny. Does that really work? And then I watched a group and I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I talked to one lady who'd been addicted to really, she'd been on heroin or some variant of opioid for about 12 years. And she tried all kinds of things. And she said, this program finally got me away so I can manage my way out of this. And she'd been clean for two years when I talked to her. So, uh, you know, I'm doing the same thing. It's so interesting. You look at the financials, it looks almost like an assisted living community. You know, you got to buy a building and you have to maintain the building. You, you got to do marketing to get the people in the door. You, you got to hire the staff and take care of them. And these are specialized, you know, these are people who got special training. But by the way, it's not like they have college degrees in psychology. They don't. I mean, there are a few who do, but most don't. Our, our manager does and our lead therapist does. But the rest of them are people who've gone to some kind of certification training over a couple of years and gotten good at it. So you have the same issue of where do I find staff and how do I take care of them and make sure they're okay? And then how do I make sure the residents get what they need? You have to pass the meds to them because the doctors have them on prescriptions, some of which are to get them off of the opioids. Uh, you have to feed them well, because if you feed them well, they're in good spirits. If you don't feed them well, they're going to complain about it, just like assisted living. <laughs> and so I was kind of amazed because, uh, you know, to me, you know, the, the, the rates that people charge, uh, 
fifteen to thirty thousand dollars a month for somebody to get this treatment is normal. And we're going to take Medicaid, and the revenue is three hundred nineteen dollars a night. And we can definitely produce a twenty percent cash on cash for our investors. So it was not hard for me to raise the equity I needed. It was very difficult to borrow the money because people are afraid of this business. They think it's very risky. There are 20 million people who need help and about 4 million get help. So this is a very underserved market. And it's interesting, the lenders who will lend say, oh, it looks just like assisted living did 15 years ago. Kind of inexperienced management, don't really know how to control all these things. Huge unmet need, not that hard to get into. If you can get a license, hard to get a license. So, you know, I'm, I'm taking what I learned in assisted living and taking it, working with a PhD psychologist to go create a similar kind of business. It's very nice. much the same. So nice. Well, I certainly appreciate you doing that, and and not super far from where I am. So, and we certainly have uh, a lot of uh, problems with opioids uh, here in Virginia, and and really throughout the rest of the country. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, appreciate that so much. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Doug, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So the best one I made is, is, is it's going to sound weird, but it's also the, the, the one I made the mistakes on. The best one I made was the first one where I stuck my neck out and signed my signed a guarantee on a loan. It was that small building in Eastern Oregon in Madras. Nobody's ever heard of Madras, but you might've heard for the baseball player who came from there, Jacoby Ellsworthy, who pitches for the New York Yankees. He's our marketing program. He comes home in the summer and signs baseballs for little league teams. Everybody knows our building because of it. It was a great one because I was forced to learn everything about loans and about marketing. And I mean, I thought I knew, but until you actually do it, you don't really know. And it's been financially okay for me. I can't say it's been great, but it's been financially okay. So that was, I think the best one because it got me going. Nice. Well, uh, to continue with the baseball metaphor, even though I'm not a baseball guy, a base hit is still yeah, a good thing. So yeah, it's, it, was, you know, it was a very good thing. Yeah. yeah. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? 
So it's going to sound weird, but it's the worst one. It's the same one because I didn't learn something before I did it. And I, and I, and I repeated the mistake on the next one. You know, I was so excited about getting them done. And gee, I'd done one. Let's go do another one. Well, this next one didn't turn out well. It didn't turn out well because I did not understand that when you raise money from private investors, they all might have different objectives. So we got the building turned around. It was making lots of money. We've been running it for six years. And somebody came along and said, I want to buy your property, your business for $11 million. Well, that sounded really good because we put 4.3 in it. <laughs> yeah, it does sound good. And it sounded really good. And then I found out that the two biggest investors had no interest in selling at all because they loved the dividend they were getting and they didn't know where they're going to reinvest the money. So we didn't sell. So guess what? I didn't make any money because I was going to make money on the carry when it sold. Haven't made a nickel on it. Put in years of work. It was a bad move on my part. I learned a lesson the hard way. It was, a, for me personally, a bad investment. It still makes lots of money. I just don't make it. <laughs> Interesting lesson to learn. My favorite yeah. question, my favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and learn the details. Because if you do, and you do a better job than the next person, you're going to do very nicely. I've salvaged all kinds of things for myself and for others by just doing that. Dig in, understand every detail, take the time, get smarter than the people who are doing it, even though they've been doing it longer. Just work harder at it, and you will find an answer that they haven't found. And as a result, you can make great money at it. So it's proven to work well for me. Nice. I love that. And Doug, thank you for joining us today, bringing these lessons about and an update to the residential assisted living market. If folks want to reach out, they want to find you, they want to find your website, whatever, where can they track you down? They should go to spell out the two words, 14plus.com. And you can reach me and you can download the book for free. You get the latest numbers in the market. And I always try and post something interesting for you to read. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. I'm always real with you guys. It helps me feel good because I get to see that you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.